This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Awesome. How are you doing today, church? That good. Awesome. Awesome. Must have just been me that had the week. I'm just playing. So we are in a series called The Way of Jesus. Uh, Pastor Ron started this well before I got here, and it was one of my firm convictions that I wanted to finish it because I think the book of Ephesians is one of those books where he's just kind of cram-packed everything into this letter, and it's really important for us to know. And after Ron preached last week, now I'm, I'm like, do I have to preach after him? Because he teaches so well, doesn't he? Yes. It's like, I told him afterwards, I'm like, every time you get up and speak, I learned something new. Last week, I learned something new. Two things I learned last week, something new. Number one, I learned something new about the verses. And then I learned that, hey, wait a second, you only preached two verses. I got to take verses three to 14. How did that happen? So then he quickly reminded me that he has pretty much the rest of chapter five and part of chapter six. So I guess it balances. But I was so thrilled. I actually got a message from my mom saying, wow, Ron's message was awesome. So if you hadn't listened to it, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to it on YouTube. All right? All right. Now, I don't know what happened, but you guys aren't awake yet. So I want you to stand up. I want you to high five the person around you and just tell them I'm awake now. All right, all right, all right, all right, whatever. (laughs) Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, I pray over the next few minutes as we look into your word that your spirit would still have the freedom to move because he's been moving here all morning. I pray that he would still continue to move and sensitize our hearts to your leading and our ears to your voice and that we would leave today with a a better understanding of you, but also your desire for us. In your name I pray, amen. So the way of Jesus, we're going to look at um, verses 3 to 14, and we're going to read through that, but what I want to show you is that that last song that we just sang where your way is better, right? That really could be the title of the teaching that I'm going to give today is do we actually believe that God's way is better? Because see, God's way, the spirit way kind of conflicts with our flesh. And flesh is a, maybe a biblical word for ego, And sometimes those things collide, do they not? And so we have to have a firm conviction that Jesus, your way is better. And so we're going to talk about that today. So chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love. Walk in what? Love. Love. But then you go to chapter, verse 3, and it completely changes. It just, it like switches. And so we have to ask the question, why? So you're going to ask the question, 
All right, great. I'm glad you asked. So let's look here at uh, these verses. So let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. I've seen stories, foolish talks, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be what? Thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall upon all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of what? Darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Next. There we go. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So I want us to look at this next slide. It it really is... We're presented here with two paths. One of them is love and the other one is what? Now, immediately when we hear the word lust, we think of sexuality, right? We immediately kind of tie that in together. But really lust is a bigger concept than that. So the way that I like to say it is this. You you know, dudes, you know, when you first met your wife or would-be wife, and you meet her, and your heart starts skipping a beat. Did yours do that? You better answer yes. <laughs> Skips a beat. Man, you're not, you find yourself not hungry anymore because you're in love, right? Yes? Husbands, you need to listen. I'm trying to get you out of trouble, all right? Yes. Love it. We were just in love, and then, you know, and then every like she's just so beautiful, and everything's so amazing. She looks at you and go, "Wow, you're so handsome," and you're like, "Well, Captain," and your breath smells good, and and then, you know, after the first night of the honeymoon, you wake up the next morning, and your wife has bed head. And you roll over and say, good morning, and she smells your breath. Whew, are we still in love? <laughs> and hopefully the answer is yes. But it's kind of a funny story. Love and lust kind of starts off feeling the same. It, it really does. It's kind of got that same eroticness to it. And I don't mean that in weird ways, but it's because in the Greek it's eros. So you've got this love happening in lust, and it kind of feels the same. But over time, they begin to lead you to different, completely different places. Why? Because love 
is beautifully described for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is all about the other person. And you see yourself as a resource for that person. You love them. It's all about them. You believe in them. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. But lust is the polar opposite. Lust is about ourselves and about what we want. And we see the people that we're with as resources for us. Do you see the difference? One of them takes you to a beautiful place where Jesus is. And the other place takes you to a place where there's extreme brokenness. And so we have to make a conscientious decision to choose to walk in love. That's why the scripture was very clear. The imitators of God walk in love. And then what Paul's going to describe in the rest of these verses is what lust looks like. Don't let that happen. So let's look at verse three and four. So it says this. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talks, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness. So immediately, Paul goes into what lust looks like. Now, he has chosen these. He, one of the things that lust leads us to is not virtue. It leads us to vices. It leads you to addiction. It doesn't lead you to a virtuous life. And so here, Paul gives us six vices that lust creates. Now, sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, and greed. Now, these are, there could be an extensive list to this, right? But these three here were huge issues within a Greco-Roman culture. In Greco-Roman culture, especially for men, you could sleep with just about anything, and it could be okay. Women were viewed as property, less than. So there was all this sexual promiscuity. There was this filthy practices, and greed and power was running like crazy. You've all seen the stories where emperors are killing emperors, right? And, and politicians were killing politicians, and people were always jockeying for position. That's part of the thing that's amazing about the Acts chapter 2 story. Because, see, if you, wasn't, if you weren't a Roman citizen, the next best thing you could hope for is to be like a wealthy landowner or something like that to give you a little bit of status in your community. So in Acts chapter 2, when it says people started selling their land, and giving stuff away, it's more than just generosity. It's people's willingness to say, I don't care about lust anymore. It's not about me and mine. It's about Jesus. It's about you. And so you see this amazing miracle take place. And it's so crazy that all the world and First Nation culture woke up and said, what are you guys doing? You guys are insane. Like, don't you realize you're, you're cutting your own social status? So it's amazing things here. So here we have these actions that if we're not careful, will end up being vices for us. And so you have these actions of sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, greed, in which he says actually is idolatry. You could actually say all of this is idolatry. And the idol is yourself, myself, lust. But then it goes down into language, obscenity, 
foolish talking, coarse joking. Now, Paul understands the power of language. Jesus is the logos of God, right? And Jesus created all things by what? His word, speaking it into existence. It's very powerful. We know today through all the psychological studies that have been done, especially with parenting, is that if you constantly use negative words towards your children, you will cripple your children, right? Words like, I hate you, or you're so stupid, or why don't you ever, or why can't you be more like? Those things are crippling. So Paul understands that actually we have the power to bless and to what? Curse. And what Paul is saying here is like, look, yeah, the, these actions are really, really bad. These are not the kind of things that you want to do. But we also have to watch our words. Why? Because our words are a reflection of our heart. Right? Didn't it say in Scripture? For out of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. So when we have issue with these things here, it's really a deeper sign of what's going on here, right? And so if we desire to have love reign in us, and if we desire to love like Jesus and follow Jesus, this can't be in the list of things here, right? It's, it's really tough. I remember there was this, uh, when I was at another church, there was this lady who came to me and she wanted some counseling. And so I said, okay, and she came in and she said, Shane, I'm just so angry at God right now. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me what happened. Like, what's wrong? And she goes, he allowed me to get pregnant. And now I have to like tell my parents and tell my family and things. And, and my heart went out to her. But I also had to tell the truth. The truth is, yes, God gave you the capability to get pregnant. But you made the choice on when to use it and not use it. It's truth, right? Because, see, when we partner with God, is his way better than my way? If it's better, then we choose that way. We realize that God isn't saying, hey, I'm, I'm a prude and... Sex is bad and all that kind of stuff. No, it's the opposite of that. What he says, though, is my plan for you is to do this. To go this way, not to go this way. Are you following me? It's the same thing with our words. If we show lack of grace and compassion with our words, right, which is going down the wrong path, then we get frustrated at the end of that path because people don't, Extend us grace and love. Are, are you following me here? So it's, it's in the power of our choice. That's why Paul says, therefore imitate God and walk in love. And walking in love doesn't look like this. Are you following me? All right, next, next set of verses. So here the tone switches, and, I, and I'm going to, Say this before I read it to you. The tone switches here. Before he was talking about actions, now he's going to be talking about people. 
He says this, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person. See how he used in the following verses, he used the actions. And now he's saying the actions are the people. Are you following me? He says here, don't, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey. Now, here, what Paul is trying to do in this passage of Scripture is separate action and who people are at their core. Listen, church, we are all broken people here. Amen? And we all make mistakes. We all do. We all fall. We all stumble. We all choose badly. That's kind of what those first two verses we looked at is talking about. The difference with these verses, these are people who have made it their way of life, their habitual practice. This is what they do. It's who they are. It's kind of that story that we all try to figure out. Is it a good kid that has just done some bad things or it is a bad kid that just does a lot of bad things, right? Have you ever had that kind of conversation in your head? Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's almost like that story that Paul has. Is it me or the sin in me that's doing this, right? And so these last categories are not, these aren't the occasional slip-ups, if I can put it that way. These are people who in their hearts have made a conscientious choice to go their own direction, and that becomes a pattern of life. Now, the interesting thing is, is you can go into Romans and other places where it uses this list and it says, but such were you before you met Jesus. Because the amazing truth is, is God's grace is stronger than all these things. Amen? And Okay, I touched the TV screen and it just went badly. All right. But I'm prepared. Okay. So anyway, can we give it up for the tech guys in the back? These guys are amazing. Yes. Technology is never fun. If I don't see that it comes back up, just yell at me. Hey, down here I get to watch TV. Meg 2, Spider-Man. Anyway. So we've, we've moved into this picture where Paul is trying to separate, hey, we all mess up, but don't be the kind of person that habitually chooses to mess up, and that's the story of their life. Don't be those individuals. All right, it's back up. Well done, guys. I will not touch the TV screen again. But what I want us to look at here is, is where I think maybe this word anger could be translated a little better. In most translations, you'll see the word wrath. Now, how many of you in here want to hear a whole teaching on wrath? Nobody. Oh, four or five people, all right? But so let me, let me in a nutshell give you what this talks about because I have this, this picture of, you know what? Here is God and he's got this lightning bolt and he's just watching me. He's just watching me. 
And for me, he had a plenty pack of lightning bolts on his back, right? And he's just watching, waiting for me to mess up. That is not wrath. That's not the picture of wrath. Wrath is kind of like this. How many of you have cars? All right. How many of you love your car? How many of you hate your car? Needless to say, you still have a car. So I have a car. I have a Mustang GT convertible 2002 with only 38,000 miles on it. Very nice car. If Pastor Ron and I were to line up side by side and we got into a race in his convertible, he would beat me because mine's a Ford. But anyway, I, I love my convertible. As a matter of fact, I couldn't stand convertibles before because being in Nashville, it gets like, it was like 109 there last week. You don't convertible that, right? You put the top up and live in an icebox, right? And so, I've, but after being here riding in Pastor Ron's convertible, when I was here checking things out, he took us out to the ocean. I said to Lori, I think I could have a convertible here. And so, you know what? God just said, there you go. And so, anyway, so I get this convertible, and, it, and it's fantastic. But it doesn't take long for me to realize that, hey, this thing needs a little bit of love, right? The, it, it, it was shimmying a little bit. The steering wheel had this. It kind of felt like, like a washing machine off balance on spin cycle, you know? And so, fortunately, we have this amazing person in the room. Don, raise your hand. Right, over, You're over here. Don has this, yes. He's got this shop. So I took it into the shop, and he looked it over, and he said, Shane, you, you need new brakes, and you're going to need new tires because it's set for a while, and it's got flat spot on the tires, et cetera, et cetera. And so we got the work done, and now that thing rides like a dream, Don. It just, it rides like a dream. And I keep saying to Lori, you want me to open it up? And the answer is always no. One day I'm just not going to ask and just suffer the consequences of, of wrath. But anyway, so we all have a car and we all understand, you know, you have to keep your car in working condition. So I want you to imagine this. It's not hard for the police officer over here to imagine this. Imagine you got these guys and they drag race from light to light. They punch that car as hard as it will go, and they break it as hard as it can at the next light. And then they go on to the next light and to the next light. How long do you think it's going to be before that car goes? Pfft? Not long, right? Why? Because the wrath is built into the car. If you drive the car the way it's intended, no wrath. But if you drive it the way you want to drive it, there's wrath. You know, there was this time where I had this car and it was, it was weird. It was like, and Lloyd's dad's like, do you even know how to drive a clutch? I'm like, dude, I learned on a 1977 Ford Ranger. That's the big one where the gear patterns were like this. <laughs> but I wasn't paying attention to the signs. The signs were, hey, Shane, you got a timing chain problem. And I ignored it. And guess what happened? Boom, the wrath is built into the car. So what God is saying to us is this. If you go my way, if you really believe my way is better, there's blessing. But if you choose to go this way, there's consequences. It's built in. So it's not like God is sitting up there 
ready to zap you. He's just said, hey, blessing or consequences. You choose. So the wrath is built into the decisions that we make when we oppose God's best way. Amen? I want you to look at this quote. This is a beautiful quote by Fleming Rut, uh, Rutledge. It's um, this lady, um, she's like a deep theologian, et cetera, and she's from the Episcopal tradition, but she's written a book called The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Christ, and this is like a major work. She says this, the wrath of God is not an emotion. Whoo, amen? It's not an emotion that flares up from time to time as though God has temper tantrums. Aren't you glad we don't have that kind of God? It's a way of describing his absolute enmity against all wrong, and he's coming to make matters right. What a powerful statement. That is such a beautiful picture. So God is not up there or here. I say up there, but he's actually here. He's not in here waiting for you to mess up. He's pleading with you, keep going my way. Keep choosing my way. If you choose my way, it's a life of blessing and love. Going your way with lust is going to end you up in some bad places, and you don't want to go that way. So let's keep looking on here. So the next slide I want you to see, we in verse 7, he begins to shift the, the tone. He says, don't participate in these things these people do. So in other words, don't be led astray by people who have chosen to live this kind of life. Don't, don't go that way. Now, the wrong view here is that we've used this past wrongly to promote the idea that Christians should stay away from all lost people. This is a wrong interpretation, and it's the polar opposite of what Jesus and the disciples practiced. We have for the longest time, um, in, in my background, and probably in your background too, Pastor Ron, it was this, you can't be around lost people because they'll just infect you and it'll mess you up and their sin will become your sin. And so we're going to define righteousness the way that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other sad people, get it? Sadducees. <laughs> practice life. When they, when they walked around, it was always avoiding people. Don't touch. Don't touch. But then we see this one beautiful picture of Jesus, and I think it's so beautiful. It says that this woman came to him and touched the hem of his robe. And she had, it's called an issue of blood, but, but this is talking about the menstrual cycle. And back in Jesus's day, when a woman was at that time of their cycle, they were deemed what? unclean. And so what happens is, is when you touch somebody, if you're unclean, the person you touch becomes what? Unclean. But is that the way Jesus treated her? Not at all. Why? Because you realize that's ridiculous. We see the pattern of the disciples. Paul, he walks into towns, there is no church. There's not anything but lost people. And he turned the world upside down. So this is not talking about the fact that we have to avoid lost people. That's not what it's saying. It says, hey, don't do what they do. Don't participate with them. And actually what's coming up is really beautiful. So this verse talks about partnering with wrong activities that are mentioned above. Let's go to verse 8 through 11. 
For once you were full of darkness. Get it? You once were those individuals, but now you're what? Light. Beautiful picture. But now you have light from the Lord. You live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and in darkness. Instead, expose them. Colossians chapter 1 really picks up on this. Now, Colossians and Ephesians share somewhere between 85 to 90% of the same content. And in Ephesians, it says that when, I mean, in Colossians, it says when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, that God, I love this picture, he says he picks us up out of the kingdom of darkness and moves us over into the kingdom of his son and who he loves. Isn't that beautiful? It's not like he says, okay, I've redeemed you, but you've got to stay in the middle of that. He brings us over into light. It's such a beautiful picture. Now, this word expose them. Now, again, because of our tradition, or my tradition, this word expose was wrongly taught. When people, They would think that when people come to church, you have to tell people they're wrong before you can hang out with them, before you can come to church, and before you get, we got to tell you how bad you are. Right? And, and it was kind of a badge of honor that the smaller your church was, the more like Jesus you were. Because it was you against the world. And so we have this concept about exposing them as, and, and whoever came up with that awful idea that God's going to put us on this, when we get to heaven, God's going to have this huge projection screen and he's going to show everybody what we've done wrong our entire lives. How many of you have heard that before? Ain't in there. <laughs> it's not that. We're going to be judged on what we did with the time that we had, right? We're going to be evaluated, but it's not that type of exposure. And that's not the way we're supposed to be with people. It's not like, you remember the old book, The Scarlet Letter? It's not the Christian's job to walk around looking who we can hang that letter on. Mm, Scott, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for letting me. He's probably going to get me later. But we walk around and we're always looking. No, 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 no. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about putting letters on people and defining people by what they do. It's something completely different. It says here that you're not focused on people but their actions. How do you expose it? Expose behavior like a counselor. This is a beautiful picture. You know, if you've ever been to counseling, counselors really are about taking what you bring to them and helping you see the deeper root issues there. And so when you come to Jesus... This exposing is not, oh, I'm going to embarrass you. Oh, I'm going to, no, it's not that. It's about helping you understand that there's something deeper at work, not just actions, but there's something deeper in your core, which very well could be lust that is operating here. And so that's one picture. The next one is, it's actually exposing action by demonstrating in word and deed a better way to live to a watching pagan community and culture. It's about demonstrating 
a better life. It's, it's like, you know, Pastor Ron last week talked about the fact that the first followers of Jesus, they didn't know what to do with us or call us. They just called us people of the way because our lifestyle was so dramatically different than the lifestyle that we were seeing in first century Greco-Roman culture. It was radically different. And so what it's talking about here is that as we, remember I've talked to you about as we go in life, as we go, as we do things, as we're moving in life, going to our jobs, doing our pastimes, being with our family, we expose darkness by living a completely different way. So now it's not all about what I can accumulate, seeing you as resources. It's flipped. It's like I'm a resource for you and I'm investing in you. Powerful image, amen? So this is what this passage of Scripture is talking about. So Paul here is saying, listen, living a life of love is different than what I'm about to describe. Because what I'm about to describe is what happens with lust, and it's going to take you to a place of profound brokenness. Don't go there. And remember that you, yes, we are surrounded by darkness and brokenness. But in the middle of that, we are light. Not will be light or could be light. We what? Are light. And living like light exposes what? The darkness. And people love light, so they what? Come into the light. Isn't that cool? So living a life of love, following Jesus, it's not just about our benefit. It's about the benefit that our lives have for others because they're watching. Are you with me? So a couple of questions for you as you go. So which path am I on? How do you see people? Do you see them as investments or resources? Do you see them as something to invest in or resources? Am I more thankful or more consumeristic? Consumerism drives me insane. I had the thrill of going to Hobby Lobby yesterday. <laughs> Three hours I was in that store. A quarter of the store is already Christmas. I'm like, what happened to Halloween? We got to scare children to death first. And then we're going to be thankful. Not moving into Christmas. People are already pulling out their pumpkin spice latte junk. But anyway, so are we thankful or consumeristic? Here's a tough one. Do I have more vices or more virtues? Your answers will tell you which path you're on. Here's the cool thing. If you don't like the answers, it's not rocket science. Choose to walk in a different direction by imitating Jesus and live a life of love. Let us pray. So Father, I come before you now and I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you that your word and your spirit combine guide us into this place of beauty that Jesus has designed for us. I ask now that all of us in here, wherever we are, maybe we're in the throes of lust and we're suffering the repercussions there. Father, I, I pray that 
you would empower us to see that it's just making a different set of choices and that it is possible to live a life of love. And so, Father, I pray this week as we go in all of our various directions, places, and spaces, that we would be light and our lives would be characterized by love. In your name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.